Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex, our first episode of season two. Shelly, welcome to season two. How's it going? Uh, It's going great. This is a really special day for sure. Season two. I don't know if I ever thought I'd hear us say that. When we started, it was like, okay, let's just keep going. And I remember we talked about, will we do seasons? We're like, I don't know. So it is a big day. It is a big day for sure. And what makes it even more spectacular, Serge, is we have someone I know that both of us admire. So I have the privilege, nay, the honor, to introduce the co-founder and the co-host of HR's most dangerous podcast, The Chad and Cheese Show. Please welcome the lovely, the talented Chad Sowash. Only up from here, kids. That's for sure. <laughs> you know how to start the season out. So let's start at the basement and then we can just build on from okay. there. So exactly. Smart. And I do have a man crush, uh, Chad, just for you to know. So might as well get it out now. Yeah. yeah. Come on, it, Serge. I'm and what's cool you about took my picture down from uh, behind you? <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about our co host today, he's actually recording from Portugal. Why the hell are you in Portugal, Chad? Yeah, recon mission. My wife said, we are getting the hell out of here. First off, Costa Rica was really high on the list. We went to Lisbon for a conference and we were blown away. Uh, Lisbon, then we went to Sintra in Porto and then heard that we missed really the best part of Portugal, which was the Algarve. Now we started doing a lot of research. We took a look at the quality of life, the cost of living and infrastructure, those types right. of things. And uh, Portugal is incredibly high on the list. I think it's top three on one of the crimeless cities in Europe. It's one of those things where you do a lot of research because you want to check stuff out. Then you got to go there. So we're spending five weeks here in five different locations, week in each location, bouncing down the Algarve coast to see if we might want to buy. (laughs) Really? You're thinking about buying property there? Yes. Oh, so you're not fleeing the country or something, are you? Like you're not on the run. You always have to have a contingency plan. You realize what the last fucking five years were, right? You always have to have a contingency plan. I'm trying to be a very good military man and also a good husband at the same time. And my wife went crazy with that asshole in office. So for our listeners, uh, Chad is American. So (laughs) they probably thought that. If you haven't listened to the Chad and Cheese show, and honestly, it has been the inspiration behind this show. I won't hide that. It's the first True. HR podcast I listened to. I was a big fan. It's part of the reason that and we started. Yeah, the show, I so. download it every week. It's what I do on Saturdays. So for our I'm listeners in Canada, yeah. you have to listen to the Chad and Cheese show. But with that, we also have some very exciting news that we uh-huh. highlighted last week on LinkedIn. And Chad, do you want to go through a little bit of our news, talk about the Evergreen Network, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Yeah. When we started I mean, Chad and Cheese, we knew that obviously two dumb Americans could only scale so well. So we looked for help and, and we found the Evergreen Network. They are a group out of Cleveland. They're 
incredibly smart. They have great podcast tech and they have great marketing sales infrastructure that they've really started to pull together. But the main reason why I wanted to join them is because all the other networks, all they wanted was Chad and Cheese and all they wanted was our downloads and our audience. Evergreen bought into the stronger together community play that I really wanted to do. I wanted to create a community of podcasts and a, a channel per se of HR content that was diverse and that didn't suck. We were going to have 10 podcasts, 10 different podcasts. And we also have some really cool news that we're going to be pressing out probably in the next few months. That's obviously going to include you guys as well. Welcome to the channel. Welcome to the fam. Obviously, Thank the biggest you, news is us joining Evergreen. Of course. Really. Yes. <laughs> Bring it to <laughs> the next roll. level. So you talk about 10 podcasts that are joining mm -hmm. the HR network. Uh, do you want to highlight a couple of them? Yeah, we have, obviously, Recruitment Flex. We have Katrina Collier, who everybody knows mm -hmm. Katrina. She's over yeah. in the UK with the hiring partner perspective. Jackie and Katie with Inclusive as Fuck, or I'm sorry, Inclusive AF. Yeah. And then last but not least, yeah. we have two incredibly smart ladies, and Alyn Bailey and Tracy Parsons. They just changed their podcast name. It's now called The Talent Rebel Cast. So we've got four new podcasts joining the six that we already have. Mm -hmm. Incredibly diverse minds and voices and uh, it's pretty exciting we're very excited uh, i think yeah. this is a fantastic opportunity for us fantastic for our listeners there's other great hr podcasts out there not as good as ours but let's give them kudos uh, do a listen to these podcasts do take a look at all the other ones there's the chat and cheese there's james ellis crazy and the king which is one of yeah. my favorite diversity podcasts yeah. and which one am i missing there's one more oh, jim oh, stroud Matt Jim Shroud, Matt Alder. Yep. Yep. Talk about some great content. Yeah. But on, on that note, let's jump into our recruitment insights. We've got tons to talk about right now. Okay. Shelly, let's talk about your first recruitment insight. Thanks, Serge. And uh, thank you, Chad, for everything you've done in supporting us and welcoming us. All about you. It was all about you, Shelly. I didn't care about Serge, just as long as you came <laughs> along. Thank you. <laughs> Huh, I believe you. I heard, we've heard so much about government subsidies when it comes to why service workers, and I'm talking about hospitality and restaurants, like all we hear is I can't hire anybody, can't find anybody. And I kept thinking, why isn't anybody asking the workers themselves? And this was actually on a news broadcast talking about a survey that actually went and talked to people that were in that category as servers or in the hospitality sector, because we kept hearing so much blame around the government here in Canada, Chad, we call it CERB. It was the acronym for basically the government saying, listen, stay home, let's try and get COVID under control. But again, it was hardly enough money unless you're okay with bringing in $1,100 a month, I think. For a single person, like if you can live on that, do you really think you'd rather no. work? And so I found this article, it ran in, in a Toronto-based newspaper that talked about restaurant workers. And this was the, the first time there was a survey of the people. And they said, no, we do want to work. We just don't want to work these crappy shifts, unpredictable shifts. And we do not want to work for your shit wages. Oh, and by the way, you're asking me to step in front of the bullet right? Like COVID isn't over. So I get to hustle my ass. It's hard work. 
I'm wearing a mask all day, which already it's hard work. That's why. It's not that people don't want to work. I know that's not news for any of us, that you need to pay people a decent wage, give them a predictable shift. Think about you know, how many people really want to guess if I'm working tomorrow at eight? Seriously, nobody. I know this is Canadian information, but Chad, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think it's government subsidies or government money that is preventing people from going back to work? I would like to start off with, if you guys ever watched John Stewart in The Daily Show back in the day, yeah. he has this one skit that he calls Bullshit Mountain. Right. And this is exactly where this narrative is coming from. It's coming from Bullshit Mountain. It came down on the tablets from Bullshit Mountain, right? Rather than framing it as a labor shortage, which I think you said, it, it's just that restaurants need to provide decent work. And it's not just restaurants. I think it has to do with much more outside mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. this space in itself. What we have to understand is that people don't want to work a shitty job for a shitty employer mm -hmm. and they shouldn't have to. Now, here's the key. And this is the thing that's really turned everything on its head because that's how we've done business for years is now employers have to actually think about how they treat their people, how they schedule their people, how they treat those human beings. And, and I really wish that as employers, we would have a mantra of understanding that, you know, we only get one one life on this rock. How are we going to help other people have a life that's livable in $1,100 a month? I don't think anywhere in the US in itself is livable. Right. No, if you put that in perspective, if you're living off $1,100 a month, and really that's what's stopping you to go work at a full-time job, Talk about shitty pay. Talk about shitty environment yeah. that you're willing yeah. to live off that. In hospitality, it's a major issue. COVID has affected so yeah. many aspects of the world of work. But the one thing that I think is driving it more than anything else is women. I, women are having a really hard time going back to work because the first thing that was affected was childcare. No consistency in your shift. What yeah. happens if your kid goes to school? There's yeah. exposure. They have to stay home. What happens to the mom or the dad? There's no flexibility in these types of shifts. And it's always been like that. So to your point, Chad, it's forcing these businesses to start thinking about treating their workers as human beings, which has never been a factor before. It doesn't seem yeah. like it. It's the same conversation around minimum wage. These are all entangled, right? Whether it's yeah. uh, ensuring that you have a great childcare at work, if you have a, a great wage, how many jobs do people actually have to work to, to live? Mm -hmm. So we're starting to really turn everything on its head in itself and we should. And this virus, and again, how many times have we talked about moving through warp speed and how COVID has moved our thought processes through warp speed with technology adoption and so many different things? Well, this is even more important, how you treat human beings. That's really what we're talking about here. Chad, what's the minimum wage in, because you're based in Indiana, correct? Yeah. What is it there? I know nationally it's 725. So 725. And is there different rules for restaurants as far as the minimum wage can be lower? 
Yeah. So Indiana state minimum wage is 725. I just looked it up and I believe it is, yeah, no shit. And everybody's bitching about $15 an hour, which if you're working 40 hours a week before taxes is a whole $30,000. That's a big fuck you. But if you are on a wait staff, it's $2 and 13 cents an hour because you get tips. Now this is again, coming straight from bullshit mountain, they get to make more money. And there's this one person I remember who made $125,000 a year off of tips. And it's just, it's these fringe cases where employers, and this is what we've seen. If you take a look at the, the, the Rand organization research, Mm -hmm. it goes back to 1975. And it demonstrates that when we started to here in the U S change our tax system, And we went to more of a trickle-down supply-side economics where we were allowing organizations to to keep those taxes instead of pushing it into the system. That was supposed to trickle down into wages for the bottom 90%, which did not happen, obviously, 7.25 an hour. So again, this is all narrative. It's all things that have been engineered through politicians and corporate America. And and I think this is going to force the issue because there's two sides of it as well, is there's the capitalistic side of if there's demand for employees, you're just going to need to pay more to be in the market. But we've realized if you don't mandate a livable minimum wage, companies just won't do it. And like in Canada, here in Alberta, we're $15 an hour. So that's been the standard for how long, Shelly? Like three, four years. It's increased over the last three years. So uh, every September. Three. Yeah. And so they gave employers a heads up that this is the scale and this is what it's going to increase to. And interestingly enough, have consumers felt the increase? No. In fact, I think those that are now working for $15 an hour they still have a side hustle. Like it's amazing how many people have a side hustle, even at 15 bucks an hour. Well, you think about it. So $30,000 a year and the average apartment rent in a market in Canada is around a minimum $1,500 a month. And buying a house, the average cost to buy a house in Canada is $600,000. That's why I love watching HGTV in the US and seeing a house for $50,000 and they put a hundred in it. It's a, a friggin' McMansion. I'm like, what in the world? I think one yeah. thing we came across here is we need to pay people more. I think we all agree we got to pay people more. But if we look at that same article, so 80% of restaurants are having difficulties finding back-end staff. Mm-hmm. 67% of these same restaurants are having difficulty finding front-end staff. Yeah. So there has to be something they can do on top of paying more. And one of them is treat your people like friggin' humans. Yeah, I think we we can all be on that page. But then what else do we do? How do we help these restaurants staff something that there might not actually be the people that are available to work? Because a lot of people shifted their careers. They've taken online learnings. They've learned new skills. The world of learning has changed dramatically. Education is about to be disrupted in the next 10 years dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what do we do? What do these restaurants do? What's your thought, Shelly? Any advice, tactical advice that these restaurants can start recruiting? I I don't think there's a silver bullet. 
I really don't. If they have a reputation of treating people like shit, and you're also in a part of the hospitality sector that doesn't get tips, you honestly need to take a real hard look at how you run your company and where your margins are. Because I've heard this forever. I worked with a group that was childcare providers, and they had a network of hundreds of childcare provider locations. And increasing their wages for the hardest markets by 25 cents an hour. And they could find people that would cross the street for 25 cents an hour. Now, the problem with that is when your competition goes up 25 cents an hour, you've got to meet it. So why don't start at the top and and make wages a living wage so people stay? Oh, and just even being investing in people. There's simple things. But I think most of all, when you look at an employer who's got a 2.8 on the review sites, your problem is much bigger than how much you pay. Yeah, I I agree with that. There is tactical elements. So we mentioned you got to pay more. I think we're all on the same page. You create consistent schedules, I think is the other element, have a better work environment. So those are all things within the environment that you can control, you can fix right away. You still have to go out in a very difficult market to find these people and convince them to come to work for you. So there's tactical elements, there's different recruitment technology you can leverage. And and that brings us to our next recruitment insight. Chad, talk to us about the recent move by TalkPush and Instagram. Yeah, so this week they announced they have released the first recruitment conversational AI for Instagram, soon to be followed by uh, others, I'm I'm very sure. Facebook recently announced the uh, expansion of the Messenger API access for all businesses on Instagram. This allowed the talk push design team to integrate Instagram messaging capabilities into the messaging ecosystem, including Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Viber, SMS, and email. Letting job seekers decide which channel they prefer to interact with makes it easier for them to apply without having to install new apps or disrupt their activities, thus expanding the talent pool for that employer. So I, I think this is something that no question that this is necessary. We have to be able to respond in kind to those individuals as soon as possible and being able to provide, and this isn't basic, but just to provide basic response on Instagram or Facebook or what have you is is a necessity today. So being able to to, to have different platforms like this or a paradox or or what have you to be able to to provide messaging, it's got to be standard. And I think it is like a step toward helping employers reach more candidates faster. The big key though is how are they going to treat those candidates once they actually get them in the door. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I'm not surprised by it, but I always have a little bit of hesitancy right now, especially in this market. There is so much noise of different tools that we can leverage. And talking to all our recruitment colleagues, they're like, I I can't take anymore. I am so bombarded with everything coming from every corner and so much pressure. Do they have the ability to manage this? And, And the second question, should they even manage these types of conversations? Should this be part of the marketing team or additional support team? Should we leverage customer service support if they have it to start answering these questions and helping these candidates. I don't know. What do you think, Shelley? I like where you're going because we've got entire customer service teams and yet there's no one dedicated to doing that same function for 
the most critical thing, and that is bringing talent into an organization. I'm going to deflect here and toss it back over to Chad, because I really want to understand what exactly do you think Instagram is trying to do here with Talk Push? I'm still not quite clear on why Instagram would do this. Are they thinking they're going to be a job board or like, how is this going to work? Yeah, I think that we've seen all of the platforms look at Facebook and now they have a jobs platform. They they all understand how important it is. Uh, But I think for more of a platform like Talk Push or even as Serge talked about all those recruiters or maybe hiring managers or what have you are saying, oh my God, there's so much tech. It all boils down to what you need. And, and the thing that, that I hate is there, there is so much noise, but those individuals allow all that noise in. What they need to do first is they need to take a look at their processes and see how they can streamline and actually have a better candidate experience along with a better recruiter experience. You've got to take a look at both sides yes. there because the last thing you want to do is lose recruiters for God's sakes. Yeah. So if you put a bunch of tech on them that they just can't handle and yes. then you're mandating that they use it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Implode your entire process start from ground zero and start to get experts in to help you. Now, in this case, where we're talking about high volume versus mid roles versus software developers, those are entirely different groups, cohorts, let's say, of individuals and how you're going to reach out to them and the experience that you're going to provide to them is going to be entirely different. I think Instagram, again, is just another point in all of these points of light, but but they do reach a much younger demographic than all those other social medias, other than maybe TikTok. So being able to have that availability, I think is just, it's just incredibly smart. But again, stop listening to all the goddamn noise, focus on what your needs are, and then start engaging with experts in the areas of tech to be able to help you build that because you don't know what you're looking for. You have no clue. So get somebody in there who does. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, as part of this tool, uh, talk about conversational AI, and there's so much confusion about AI. What's the difference? Like when we talk about AI, we talk about different elements of chatbot. Can you give our audience a little bit of background on that? I would say that you stop focusing on the labels. Don't worry what they call it. Look at the end solution. Look at what the what they're actually trying to help you solve. That's that's the key there, right? So I don't care if it's AI, who cares if it's RPA, it's AI, it's a chatbot, it's conversational AI. None of that matters. Again, that is all to me noise. What you need to do is you need to better understand what your actual problem is so that you can construct a solution. That's the big key. So mm-hmm. if you're taking a look at conversational AI or chatbots or whatever the hell you want to call it, this gives you an opportunity as an organization to do a few things. You can take the very small tasks that are a pain in the ass off of your recruiter's plate and prospectively doing like FAQ answering and those types of things. And then you can also on the candidate side, instead of having them download a resume, you can ask them questions, the actual pertinent questions for the actual job itself, because you're going to have them download a resume and then you're going to ask them to fill in these different fields. So this is just really in itself, it's replacing resumes and career sites with rich media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Really good point. So we've talked a lot about high volume recruiting and it brings us to our next recruitment insight because your friend, I've never met her, but I'm a big fan. So I want to have her on the show as Madeline Loreno came out with the latest research that talks about high volume hiring. And what it really reveals is there's broad misconceptions of what actually is happening in high volume recruiting. I'll go through a couple. So right now, as we know, no surprise, 65% of companies are having high volume hiring difficulties. I, yes. I would think it's actually way higher than that. We talk about high volume recruiting, and I think there is misconception of what high volume recruiting. We think about generally gig workers or hourly workers. In reality, how she classifies it, and it's probably the right classifications, is when you're hiring, say, a thousand people in a short limited time, no matter what it is, it's high volume recruiting. Because I've worked with companies that we need to hire a hundred software developers. To me, that is high volume recruiting just based on the complexity of it. Challenges with that is managing the volume of candidates is overwhelming. Companies are having a really hard time finding recruiters. So what the hell do you do? You've got tons of candidates, limited resources. Is that a challenge? I think it is. Biggest surprise, and I'm saying this sarcastically, is the candidates are dropping off at the apply phase. 43% of candidates are dropping off at the apply phrase. And of these companies surveyed, this blows your mind, but not surprising, is these application processes are taking more than 30 minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? Have we not learned that? Five minutes is too long for these types of roles. And we're talking about 30 minutes. And this one just blows my mind. It it hurts my heart. 50% of employers don't have a mobile apply process. Come on, guys. So what do you think of those initial points? Anything that's surprising there? I'll start with you, Chad. Yeah, no, nothing surprising. First and foremost, Madeline is awesome, and I'm sure she'd love to come on the show. Uh, this is all about scale. And, and, and again, I, I think we look at high volume as how do I do high volume? It's like, okay, so let's take a look at what your problem is. Let's not mm-hmm. label it with high volume. Let's just take a look at what your problem is. And then take a look at scale, right? Because scale is the big key here. How do I scale? Not to mention, how do I scale without putting more weight on my recruiters? Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, we were just talking about talk push and being able to utilize conversational AI. I mentioned earlier that last week, Paradox gobbled up Tradeify. Yeah. Uh, and Adam Godson over there, he was at Cielo for years. And while he was there, he had actually created a process methodology for his clients, high volume clients, which were mainly restaurants and and hospitality, Mm -hmm. uh, where they would engage a candidate in under 10 minutes, they would have that individual scheduled to interview. That was in 2016, 2017, under seven minutes, because they, they were asking just what was necessary to be able to get them to the next stage. What was your heartbeat? Do you have one? Okay, great. Let's get you into an interview. (laughs) You have a pulse. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, which in some cases, but I think what we need to do is we need to better understand that speed is king with all of these things, whether it's somebody who's going to a restaurant or if it is a software developer. Now, it also has to be relevant. So if you're taking a software developer through a, uh, a software 
test. It, it shouldn't take 48 to 72 hours to get back to them after. The text should automatically scale and help them understand whether they're in or they're out. Uh, that's the thing. For any company today who has a 30-minute plus application process and they're bitching about not being able to get the right people, sucks to be you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your thought, Shelly? I'm thinking even prior to that volume recruiting, if there's absolutely no market awareness that you're even hiring. So to start complaining about it now is I'm going to copy you, Chad, like it sucks to be you, but <laughs> how long have you been hearing that you need to pay attention to marketing? It's like complaining. Nobody's buying your widget. Well, does anybody even know you make widgets? Companies that have long ignored any sort of investment into just having presence in the market, having a reputation in the market. So maybe it's time to get out of the market. Just no, shut down. Shut down. <laughs> well, if you've got no, if you've got nobody to do the work, what are your alternatives? Yeah. Well, I think it's a good point. It definitely, you need to have people to be able to run your business. And I think what's happened is a lot of people have relied on, say, organic traffic from Indeed for the longest amount of time just to get candidates. They hire those. There's no other things that is really done in recruitment. Yeah. And that game has changed. You're not getting organic traffic on Indeed in this current environment. So no. you now have to pay. And it's already too late. Your competitors are building brands and they're doing a ton of other things that actually create that brand and attracts yeah. those people. So you're fucked. Like, I, I, I yeah, agree. Yeah, just with hang that. out the for sale signs. Well, Seriously. They're, they're, if you're not, not going to open your wallet, yeah. then hang up the they're, for they're, sale sign. They're not even using their number one asset where they've spent millions of dollars in building it, being their applicant tracking system database. I mean, okay. they, ha they have a database that they've spent millions more than likely of dollars on. And I'll give a shout out to, to Adam Gordon over at Candidate ID, where that whole platform, it just runs by itself and it's focused on driving relevant content to candidates and keeping them warm and giving them a better experience overall. And, and again, it all depends on what you want and what you need from your organization, but I can't imagine that any of these companies would be in business today if they treated their customers as badly as they treat their candidates. Exactly, yes. exactly. You just mentioned ATS. That was actually another part of that research that close to 70% of companies are not satisfied with their ATS. No fucking shit, because you know who chose your ATS? It was finance or IT. I'm a big believer. You need a standalone ATS that can work with your HRIS, but... If you have Workday, yeah, yeah. you have UltiPro, you have Oracle Recruiting, you've got shit. There's no yeah. doubt about it. You have to look at the players that do this right. And I'll, I'll mention a few that we know can win. Jobvite. Love Jobvite as an ATS. Love Smart Recruiter. Workable. There's a ton of good ones that just mm -hmm. do recruitment to help the candidate journey. Because that's the other factor is hiring managers don't want to use the complexity of a workday. They use it once a month and they go in and it's non-intuitive. The same for LTPro. So the ATS is their biggest pain in recruitment. We all have shitty ATS. And it's funny, I'll join a webinar and we'll have people talk about, <laughs> and they'll talk about, we have Kronos as our ATS. I'm like, what? or we have ADP, or we have Ceridian. 
I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? That should be the foundation of everything you do is the ATS in my mind. And again, that should be your platform of record. That's where all the data goes in. That's where it's stored. That's the ugly shit. Everything that happens on top of it is more of an experience layer that yeah. these conversational AI platforms, these matching platforms, all these things can get the data in a much better way, in a quicker way, and in a more relevant way, they can put it into the, to the you know platform of record, but you don't ever have to touch it as a candidate. No, and I, I love that you mentioned Candidate ID. I think it's a fantastic platform. Mm-hmm. We'll also shout out Candidate Hub, which is our buddy here in Canada, Brad DePaulo. Very similar, but I, I do think you have to figure out a way how to nurture your candidates. And you mentioned it at the start. We have this database of candidates that have been there forever. They're right at our fingertips. And they already and know who you are. We, they already know. They already went through the pain of applying probably to your shitty hiring process and they did mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So why not call them? Why not reach out to them? It just doesn't make any sense to me. That and how many times have you paid for that candidate over and over? You're paying for them over, over and over and over. over. And they're yeah. right there. Yeah. It's, Yeah. Too obvious. I wanted to change gears here. Uh Uh-oh. Chad, I've got a quiz for you. Now, at the top of the show, you talked about the fact that you're in Portugal and that you did some research before you went over there. We put together a few (laughs) questions here. We thought anybody who's going to put that much effort should know these things. So yeah, we want to find out if you're full of shit. Question. Is cannabis legal in Portugal? No. Okay. What you can do, okay, so it's not <laughs> actually it's not it, medical it's marijuana not, is. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's not legal, but it I don't believe it's criminalized. Uh, okay. You can't so. you can't just find you can't just find a, a weed shop and go buy. No, we, we looked, we were in Faro. We, we, we <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The man's researched. Okay, so, so your turn. <laughs> you're American and this is very relevant to you. Can you own a gun in Portugal? No. Yes, you can. Can I, as an American? Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. As a local resident. You don't no, want to give American yeah. guns outside of America. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, sorry. about me. I thought, hey, can I? You said, can you? Yeah, wrongly yeah. phrase. Can yeah. sorry, a local sorry. resident legally own? You're in the Canada. EU, so you can, yeah, you can, oh. you can own. It's just going to, it's going to take a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. Okay. So are you ready for the next one? Yes. Is, uh. Is healthcare any good in Portugal? How do they yes. take care of their citizens? It's amazing. Yeah, okay. it is. It's it's amazing. Is it free? We've, it is. It's a universal healthcare. As a matter of fact, as we've been taking a look at citizenship, you know, dual citizenship, what it would actually take for us to, to be able to utilize the system. Okay. Okay. Your turn, Serge. The last question we have on this, have you joined the movement there's actually a Facebook group dedicated to this, to bringing Chipotle to Portugal. Are you part of that movement? I am part of the anti-movement on that. <laughs> Portugal has such amazing food. I love Chipotle when I'm in Indiana, but I do not want to see Chipotle in Portugal. Oh, I do have one more for you. So the question is this. I know the biggest holiday for my American family is Thanksgiving. So do you know, do the Portuguese, do they celebrate Thanksgiving? No. Yes, they do. do the they? same day. Yes. For it's what? the same day. 
as they call it, oh, I can't even pronounce it, it, the day of being thankful. And it's celebrated on the same day, the last Thursday of November, but it doesn't have quite the fanfare that Americans yes. have. We actually, we're going to send you as well. If you want to seek refugee status, we have all the links <laughs> uh, that you can actually grab. So we'll send to you in case you want to stay there. Uh, have a better life. I, I, I do have to well say, done, I, I do have to say that Portugal right now is above 82% and first jab vaccinations. So we were actually worried about coming over that they wouldn't allow us dumb Americans to come over because obviously we're not even 60% yet. 51% to vaccinations. Do you know who the leader in double vaccination in the world is right now? Israel. No, Canada. Canada just surpassed Israel two weeks ago. You can always seek refugee status in Canada. We're like <laughs> yes. America, but nicer, a little colder. Like, and we pay better. <laughs> we pay better. Yeah. We've got health care. Maybe not as good as Portugal. but So, Chad, you're traveling, but the Chad and Cheese show doesn't stop. Nope. What do you guys have coming up? Whatever the news will throw at us. That's all I can say. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at what has been hot. We have a Facebook, a private Facebook group, and we probably have anywhere from 20 to 30 things per week that we jump into. For the most part, we're looking for the ones that are an automatic or, or the big acquisitions, big mm -hmm. funding. I will probably talk about George LaRock's new numbers where he couldn't wait to the end of the quarter. He had to push out numbers, but th things like that, it, not, not really sure, but you can be sure that it's going to be full of snark and we're not preaching from bullshit mountains. So come join. It, it depends. I, I do have to call out, it's become my new favorite Chad and Cheese episode or series is your European show yeah. that comes out every week. I think How's it's that? actually brilliant. I that love is. it. For our listeners that do listen to the chat and cheese and thinking European, it doesn't affect us. The topics are so relatable to Canada, even in the US. It's great to get mm -hmm. the perspective. So do listen to that one. So Chad, amazing. Thank we're you. so excited to be part of the Evergreen Network. We're so excited to be part of... The Chad and Cheese family, I guess. We're still waiting for t-shirts. And I guess all you have left is extra large. And and we can't get the bourbon. We can't get the beer. Like, what the hell? We we have to find an address in the oh, US. We can, so you guys we can, can find a way to get you bourbon. That's not hard. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much. Always a delight. And thank you. Thank you for being so welcoming and bringing us onto your HR channel. It's uh, it's just a wonderful channel and such variety. I think audience, please do tune in. It's a dream come true. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Have Thank a great you. week. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.